Welcome to season eight of the Global Inquirer. The Global Inquirer is an undergraduate research podcast based in the University of Virginia. And each week we bring you stories from across the world to explain how global trends are impacting real lives. I'm your host, Emma Ross. Today, we'll be discussing how women leaders are responding to the coronavirus crisis. Today, I'm sitting down with four of our researchers. First with us, we have Lindsay Baker, a third year global security and justice major. Additionally, we have Abigail Quinn, a second year intended major in global security and justice. Additionally, with us, we have Hannah Malcolm, a second year history major. And last with us today, we have Renee Swager, a third year double major in economics and global development studies. So I'm really excited to have a conversation about female leadership with four female leaders of our own on the podcast here. I think firstly, it might be interesting to explain to our listeners a little bit about what attracted us to this topic other than the fact that it's something relevant to ourselves. But I think also that you guys will help us explain today how it's relevant to women across the US and across the world. Caught our eyes especially during quarantine. I think on Instagram, there was definitely a big theme of sharing infographics about whatever our hearts desired. And one that I found really interesting that I saw a few people post was about women leaders and how they handled the coronavirus pandemic. Obviously we were in the thick of it, we still are. And it was really interesting to see how countries that were led by female leaders we're doing significantly better than countries like the US or the UK, which all have male leaders. And when we started to do our research, one of the countries that definitely jumped out at us was New Zealand. So New Zealand is a country with about 4.9 million people, but as of October 16th, they only had four active COVID cases. So that's pretty remarkable, especially when you compare it to a country with a similar population like Ireland, where there were 1,186 cases. You know, we see a lot of people in New Zealand starting to go back to concerts and back to work. And right now in the United States, if somebody were to do that, we would think they were crazy and it would not make any sense. But in New Zealand, we saw a lockdown that was remarkable in its stringency and its brevity. And as the daily number of cases dropped below 10, obviously New Zealand is an island, but I mean, to be able to control such a virus in that way was incredible. They shut down to foreign visitors on March 19th. And on March 23rd of 2020, they implemented nationwide lockdowns. How did the female prime minister, Jacinda Arendt, contribute to that state of almost COVID freedom? Here in particular with COVID and all that, I think she's done a great job of what she's been um, faced with. We feel secure in this country. If we had our president like her in the United States, the things would have been different in the world. Our grandchildren think that she's just wonderful, the people's princess. The warmth, the empathy, the kindness, the narrative that she expresses, which is actually helping move the body politic. only in the pandemic, but she's been very responsive in other crises, such as their instances of gun violence, and she was very active in taking a stand against that. She really took charge and prioritized the virus, and it was pretty astounding to see everything that she was able to do as a female leader. She even gave birth while in office, which was pretty incredible. So 
a lot of the things that she's been able to do, we were interested to see if that had anything to do with her gender identity and how she's been treated as a woman within her society. Yeah, that's really interesting, Abigail. Thank you for all of the research and facts that you brought to this episode, because I think definitely we, more than any other set of people, probably have more of a burden of proof here to provide solid evidence as to, you know, why should you believe us? I think a lot of the information that Abigail, you just brought up as far as specific measures that the Prime Minister of New Zealand has taken definitely helped to show the bigger picture of New Zealand's success facing this pandemic. I was wondering if, besides New Zealand, any other female leaders come? Because, you know, scientific method teaches us one example is not enough to prove a trend. So does anyone else have more evidence that other female leaders also do this? Or is this just a one-off? No, I think that we can take example from Germany, who is led by Chancellor Angela Merkel. And, you know, one of the biggest things we've noticed in the whole scenario of COVID is just how well Germany has been handling it, how effective their hospitals have been, how they really had an early lockdown, how they responded efficiently. And I think that one of the things that Germany has been most praised for is its low death rate. I mean, we see that it has a population of 83 million and they've had 1.36 million cases and the death rate's only about 22,000 at this moment. And it's just come from really strong leadership Merkel was the first female chancellor of Germany since 2005, and she just has had been delivering a strong executive lead in this. So we first look and see that Germany has the fourth largest economy in the world, and we had a first sight of COVID in Germany around January 27th, and it wasn't until late February where we saw a greater growth in this, and It was in this moment where they realized that this was becoming on the verge of a national pandemic where the government set up an uh, interministerial national crisis management group. And it was a few days later, if not the very next day, where the government had required the travelers who entered the country to report information about any possible exposure if they were coming from a high-risk area. And it continued just to have really efficient checkpoints, really efficient monitoring, carried through March 22nd, where we had this concern of a second wave, and it was still enforced that we'd have this contact ban. In fact, Merkel announced that they would implement a contact ban, which limited gatherings to just a few people outside of family in socially distanced groups. And that's something that's been carried into America as well that we even follow here at the University of Virginia, where we limit our social engagement. In the political arena, a lot of women are played down, where they're played to this emotional aspect. They're in fact reduced in their ability to make decisions. And in COVID, this was a time where all leaders needed to be able to remove this emotionality from it as people were losing their lives over it. And so I think the fact that people gave Merkel this opportunity to make decisions about how lockdown was going to be handled. It displays that she was well regarded within the political arena as anyone who can make level-headed decisions. That's actually really inspiring that women aren't just 
doing well, that they're also being respected enough to be trendsetters across the world. I, I find that a very strong point indeed. Thank you, Renee. I think one of the most important things out of all of this is just how women have been given this opportunity to lead and how it hasn't really been hindered by a stigma of women being unable to make level-headed decisions. And I think on a similar note to this discussion of female leadership styles, Lindsay has a really great quote from her interview that we got to conduct. Lindsay, if you'd like to take it away on that. Yeah, so in our interview with Louise Davison Schmich, who's a professor of political science at the University of Miami, she was noting how COVID is a really unique circumstance where women's leadership styles are can actually be more effective than men's. So one thing is that if we think about trying to combat a novel virus, right, that's never affected humanity before, it's a really uncertain type of a situation. I mean, in a sense, you know, in a sense there's regularities to pandemics, but this is a novel pandemic. And so we don't really know how this disease works. And so as a national leader, you are thrown into leading your country through something that nobody's ever done before or knows anything about. And I think for women to say, gosh, this is a novel pandemic and we don't really know anything about it and we're, we're pretty uncertain and this is kind of scary and you know, what should we do is easier than for a man to do that. And there's some reasons for this. I mean, one thing, if we think about how boys and girls are socialized, right? Girls are kind of taught, it's okay to say you don't know. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to be scared, right? And we tell boys, you know, gosh, you gotta be tough and you know, fake it until you make it and be strong and don't admit to not knowing stuff. And so people are socialized that way anyway. And then because everyone gets socialized that way, we also judge other people based on how they act. And so if we see a woman saying, gosh, this is a novel pandemic, I don't really know what to do. I better ask some health experts. I'm kind of uncertain and this is scary. We're like, yeah, right. That's the way she's supposed to be acting, right? For male leaders to do that, they get perceived very negatively. For men to say, I'm not sure, for men to say, I'm scared, for men to say, I'm gonna ask for help because I don't know what's going on, is not rewarded socially. And if we judge you know, our, our guide friends about that in everyday life, you know, the pressure and the attention that's paid to national leaders is way more intense than that. So it makes it very difficult for male leaders to admit to being uncertain or to being scared. And so it was probably a lot easier for female leaders to say, I'm gonna go ask health experts what to do because I don't know, it's, it's new. I'm gonna ask these scientists for help comes a lot easier than it is for men. So even if we look at Justin Trudeau in Canada, I mean, Justin is seen as being pretty feminist and gender egalitarian, and he's been very outspoken and identifying himself as a feminist. But the first thing that happened when countries started closing down their borders or feeling threatened by COVID, He's like, oh, that's a knee-jerk reaction. You know, we don't need to be scared. We don't need to worry about this. This is, you know, overreacting. And that insight is really valuable to our current discussion. And I'm so incredibly thankful for our ability to speak with her. Yeah, I'm really glad that you all were able to loop in a distinguished professor into our discussion here. It definitely brings a very important perspective to our discussion. So in addition to the specific examples that we've been able to observe from different countries' responses with women as leaders, I was wondering if there's maybe a psychological basis for these observations. You know, we're bringing to our audience 
trends among women, but what makes women leaders so different from men leaders? Has there been research done regarding these leadership styles? Maybe Hannah, you could bring us in. Yeah, so there's definitely been a lot of research in the realm of social psychology on women leaders. And it is hard to categorize female leaders as a whole because obviously each will have their own, but in the countries that aren't New Zealand or Germany, where we still see a prominent male majority in positions of leadership, it's natural that we associate leadership with more masculine features. So as a society, we've come to associate good leadership with more agentic traits, which means being more assertive, controlling, dominant, and independent. And that's what we tend to see with male leaders. And when women come into positions of power, they're more stereotypically expected to be more communal. So this means that they're more concerned with the welfare of others. They're more warm, helpful, and affectionate. So one thing that we can see from evidence pretty much all around the world is that obviously not all women think alike, right? Just like not all men think alike. Not all men thinking alike we call politics, right? We've got Democrats and we've got Republicans. Well, it's the same thing with women. But one thing that we can see pretty consistently around the world is that even within the same party, so if we were to look at female Republicans and male Republicans or female Democrats and male Democrats, we can see that women's positions and especially their priorities oftentimes differ from men who have pretty much the same sort of ideological position as they do. And generally, when it comes to thinking about the role of the state or the role of government in protecting vulnerable populations, young people, older people, sick people, poor people, women tend to be a little bit more on the side of doing more to help others than do men. So obviously, female Republicans see a smaller role for the state than do female Democrats. But if we compare female Republicans to male Republicans, the women might be a little bit more to the, to the left. So that's somewhat of a difference. And this is a finding that's not just about the United States. It's really consistent across nationally. And probably the reason for that, right, is that if we think about who's in charge of caring for the sick or who's in charge of caring for the weak or who's in charge of making sure that other people are doing okay, it's generally the way that women are, are socialized. So their, their life experience is, is a little bit more hands-on with the problems of others maybe than many men's life experiences are. And the other difference, and this is really, I think, the biggest difference that quotas make, is that while men and women in the same party might oftentimes have the same views about issues, the urgency that women feel about solving and addressing certain problems is heightened compared to their male counterparts, and probably vice versa. So while men might say, for example, oh yeah, daycare is important, parental leave is important, women's rights are important, if they are a busy legislator and they can maybe only sponsor one bill or pursue one bill at a time, those might not be the bill issues that they pick. Well, they might ideologically think, oh yeah, childcare is important, I'm going to really focus now on, you know, taxes. Whereas female legislators are much more likely to say, we really need to prioritize some of these more caring welfare type issues. And so one of the differences that we can see when quotas are implemented is that sometimes what changes is the priorities or the balance of weight that's given to issues. So a really good piece of research looks at what happened around the world when gender quotas were implemented in countries. So when basically what happens usually is when a quota comes in, 
you start to see a lot more gender balance in who's represented in government. And one of the things that we can see worldwide is that when more women get into national legislatures, we see what those legislatures are spending their money on starts to shift. So we see a move away from, for example, military spending and toward healthcare spending. So the more women in government, the more government spend on health. The more men in government, the more likely they are to spend on weapons. So one of the, the big differences when we get quotas is that we tend to get a little bit more priority on more health and welfare issues. Because women are perceived to be more communal, they are often thought to be better at managing crises. So particularly ones that involve interpersonal conflicts. And this becomes an issue because there's a stereotype surrounding the idea that there are more opportunities for women leaders during more crisis, more economic crisis. But this isn't exactly true. For example, research from the Cambridge Press examined 68 countries over 30 years and concluded that economic crises reduced women's presence in parliament. And what actually happens is a ton of pressure is put on women because they are better at handling these crises. And so then they're set up to fail because obviously not every crisis is going to be easy to solve or have a perfect solution. So when women are put in charge of the large crisis, there's more risk of failure. And so we see them being pushed out of office faster than men. This kind of makes it impossible for women leaders to succeed because when they're supposed to act in a masculine way with agentic and forceful ways, they're condemned for not acting like a woman should. But then when they're acting in more communal ways, they are not being powerful enough in their positions. And I think we can see a good example of the communal versus agentic traits when we look at the pandemic. For example, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern when she got in front of New Zealand and said that the Tooth Fairy and Easter Bunny are essential workers, we definitely applauded her and she got a large global response for that. And I think her appealing to the empathy and compassion within the nation and the world was respected in this moment, like we were talking about earlier, when women leaders are able to use these more compassionate traits that are usually frowned upon by other male leaders because as we are talking about with our interview with Professor Davidson Schmish, if somebody such as Boris Johnson or Donald Trump were to get in front of the nation and call the tooth fairy an essential worker, we might laugh in his face because we don't expect it from him. Yes, I definitely think that you all have brought a very interesting range to this crisis. I mean, from Abigail talking earlier about the New Zealand prime minister being more forceful with COVID restrictions, and that being one aspect of female leadership, but also Hannah just brought in the aspect of female leadership that relates a lot more to women being able to pay more attention to healthcare issues or issues of empathy. So I think this range is very important, but also a lot of this, we've been talking about how female leadership relates to the coronavirus. So this is a great opportunity for us to zoom out and talk about female leadership outside of a crisis and in a more everyday setting. So drawing from the lessons that Hannah just taught us and the different versions of leadership that kind of women and men tend to employ, it's really interesting to examine how do we employ these things in our everyday lives and how do we view women leaders, whether it be our teachers, our professors, our doctors, and how does that impact us? 
and kind of understanding that as a woman, you're expected to perform well in a crisis situation because you can be a mediator. You're seen as a caring figure who can figure out and problem solve better than someone who is not going to take a more emotive approach. So if we're expected to perform better in crisis situations, understanding that when a lot of pressure is being put on you in those moments, that it's okay to step back and to think about how you can engage your team to solve those problems, which is actually something that women leaders are actually better at. And also understanding different leadership styles are important for men too. Drawing from women's leadership styles can help you be a more effective leader and not trying to stay in this binary and kind of adopting two different styles can actually be more effective. And it can be kind of scary because as we talked about, we would not expect Boris Johnson to kind of declare that the tooth fairy is a essential worker, but it should be the way of the future. We should be more accepting of leaders and kind of adaptive to different leadership styles because both leaders are can be effective when Fauci says that Santa is is an essential worker and when Arden says it. It's they're equally important and they help morale. It's just that we have gotten to a point where we shouldn't expect certain leaders to act a certain way and that combining leadership styles is going to be the most effective way to navigate a really complex issue that goes beyond just healthcare or schools. Yeah, I guess I can jump in on that. So I definitely agree with Lindsay. I think It's really interesting to see where we can draw the line between misogyny within our culture and how many of these distinctions are psychological. And I think we have to understand that our society is changing and it's becoming more normal to see a woman in power. But just because she is in power doesn't mean she didn't have to go through several obstacles that maybe a man didn't have to go through. And that in turn, shapes her leadership style. And I think obviously it could be a little controversial to draw leaders based on whether they're solely male or female, but I think we have to understand the differences and experiences that both sides bring. And we can see that all over the world that women experience life differently than men. That's just psychology and that is experience and how our society has shaped the world that we live in and the ideals that we carry and the stereotypes that we carry, whether they're internalized or not. And I think we need to be aware of that. And we need to always be understanding of what is true and what we're being quick to assume. But I think psychology has shown that women behave differently and they demonstrate different forms of empathy that definitely are able to come out during their leadership tenures or, you know, any roles that they will take on. Are there any maybe sources or studies that you guys want to point to that can lend some of your claims more credibility for our audience? Alice Eagley is definitely a pioneer in this field. She's a professor at Northwestern, and she's done a lot of work and contributed to a lot of studies that have shown the psychological roots of our leadership styles and the differences that can arise from that. And her work was definitely vital in not only lots of journals that go into the subject, but when we did start talking about the differences between men and women during COVID and how they responded, she was cited by the New York Times and lots of other prominent sources like that. She is very well respected in her field and people know that her research is done with statistics and it's not some woman coming in and saying, well, women are automatically better because I am one that's not what we're trying to do here. And that's not what she tries to do. And I think 
it's hard when you talk about an issue like this to understand that it's science and it's not just politics. You know, some people might respect a woman differently than a man, but that's that's science and that's not necessarily linked to one side or the other. I think her research and a lot of the sources that we read showed that a lot of things we just can't control and we are the products of the world that made us and women leaders are products of their environments just like men are products of their environments and we grow up with different standards and I think Alice eagerly takes that into account while at the same time conducting her own studies and talking to students and getting feedback and her work has been really vital to getting this conversation started and allowing a lot of politicians to kind of start discussing this, which might have only been discussed in more psychological fields at one time. But with the COVID pandemic, we've really seen this issue start to come to light a lot more. What would you like us to keep as a takeaway after we've turned off the episode and walked away? So the COVID-19 pandemic has brought to light a lot of different leadership issues and styles that we can see across the globe. But these differences existed before the pandemic and they will continue to exist after the pandemic. They've definitely been strengthened and come to light a lot more recently. But like we said, researchers like Alice Eagley and different professors at various universities, even at UVA, have been studying this topic. And there's so much that we can learn from women and from different countries as well. We can take cues in how we handle crises from different people who are experiencing pandemics or other variations of crises in different ways. So what we were really able to take away was that differences in leadership styles are definitely psychologically rooted, but our society can reinforce what we think is right uh, versus what we think may be unacceptable. And all the differences that occur between male and female leadership can be attributed to a variation of experiences and a difference within our psychological capabilities to lead and to care for others. And that's our episode for this week. Thank you to our lovely panel of researchers who worked very hard to bring us this week's episode. And a special thank you to Louise K. Davidson, Smish Professor of Political Science at the University of Miami. If you liked today's episode, please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we will see you next week.